Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Now to have our joke, please join me in welcoming Tanner. All right, guys, how are you doing tonight? My name's Tanner, and I'm an alcoholic. All right, so an Irishman walks into a bar in New York City and orders three pints of beer. He drinks each one in turn and walks out. The next night, he returns and again orders three pints of beer, and then again the next night. The bartender offers to serve them consecutively so they won't go flat. But the Irishman explains, I'd rather see them all lined up before me. I left two brothers behind in Ireland, and since we used to meet at the pub every night and I have a pint to- and we have a pint together, I feel closer to them when I come to drink my pint and theirs too. This goes for a year, and then one night, the Irishman fails to come in. The regulars are concerned, and then saddened when he returns a few nights later and orders only two pints of beer. When the bartender serves him, he says, I see you didn't order a beer for one of your brothers. My condolences on your loss. My brothers are still alive, says the Irishman. I didn't order my own beer. My wife made me promise to give up drinking. Good evening, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise and that might slash will distract others. Take this time to get reconnected to God and let the craziness of the day drift away. Ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready?
please join me in the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, just repeat after me. <laughs> God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Pam to come up here and read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Pam. My name is Pam. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hi. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet, it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God-consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 567-568. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane meeting mode or just turn them off. And now it's the time to introduce our speaker. I'm, I'm, I like this speaker, so I'm a little bit nervous to do this, so excuse me. Uh, he's in the midst of a step series. He's an alcoholic, and rumor has it that he even has problems other than alcohol. Please join me in welcoming Doc. Doc. 
How true, how true. <laughs> Doc alcoholic. And I thank God they wrote it down. And I also thank God William James wrote it down. If you don't know what that is, that's what you should be reading along with these. We get, really, we get sober and then we get really tied up into uh, what we're going to read, you know. I got to read the latest self-help book to go along to understand the big book, and then I need to read, you know, these ancient texts to go along with this, and then I need to understand the poetry of Rumi, you know, the 12th century uh, poet, and then I have to, you know, and it's like, no, you don't. It's right in the big book. And what's great about the big book, I I am 100% uh, convinced that it was divinely inspired. And I think it was divinely inspired through the second tradition, not simply through Bill. And, and God working through the consciousness of a group rather than just a single prophet uh, makes the writings safe from uh, being accused of just one madman's rantings, right? Because this madman, Bill Wilson brought his rantings to meetings chapter by chapter. He'd send one off to uh, Bob Smith, Dr. Bob, and Bob would go, hey, that's awesome. That's great. And then he'd bring it to a meeting, and imagine yourself that you're writing a book about AA, and you decide to bring your chapter to your home group, allow them to read it, and then after the meeting, discuss what changes need to be made with you. Right? I would never do that. They would rip it apart. And that's what they did to Bill over and over again. And he kept going, well, i got to re- rewrite this. And eventually, it made it through so that after the first uh, edition, they made some minor changes in the second edition. And it hasn't needed to be edited since then. We know it's the truth. 85 years later, we know that it's true. You can look around the room and see proof. I'm always shocked when I meet someone who I think is a, who I know is a great upstanding member. I see you brought me a new straw, but uh, I brought last week's straw with me. <laughs> so if you're strawless in the group, I'm happy to share one of my straws with you because that's how we do it. There we go. Um, I'm shocked when I see someone who's a happy member of a group and then he says, out in the parking lot, that I don't believe in God. And it's not that I want to say, you know, I'm not a politician where I go, well, then don't vote for me, go vote for somebody else, and have that work out. It doesn't, that's, that, I don't want to say, well, if you don't believe in God, you're in the wrong program, get out. You know, my, my immediate feeling is, oh, how sad. Keep coming back. Because that's all we have here. You know, none of this gets you sober. None of the steps get you sober. None of the steps keep you sober. I know we hear stuff like service work. That'll keep you sober. No, it won't. I've, I've seen people who were service junkies go back and become practicing junkies. You know? I, I've, seen, I've seen lying, cheating, backstabbing folk that when they're at a meeting, they're serving coffee and they're just glowing beautifully. I saw a speaker once when I was young. And he was an old man, and he got up, and he shared, and he had 25 years or something. I thought you had to be really old to get, like, 25 years. 
And uh, I guess if you start when you're 60, you do have to be really old when you get 25 years. So, and we followed him out into the parking lot, and he had locked his keys in his truck, and he lost his old man mind. I'm not kidding. And it was like, oh, don't worry, uh, whatever his name was. I don't even remember his name. Don't worry, Dave or Mike or Bill or whatever it is. We'll, we'll call a locksmith. They'll be here in 20 minutes. Oh, you're not going to. And he's trying to break the window with a rock and everything. And he's screaming obscenities. And it's like all the friends that had followed him out to his car because he was, had such a shining golden message. We looked and went, this, I don't want this. If this is what's in this guy's kit, I, I don't want it, you know? I want to be free. I want to be able to look life straight on and not have the fear that it's going to run me over, right? That's how we used to live. The book says we were a juggernaut, right? That we, that's, it comes from Hinduism, actually. And it means an, a, a force that cannot be stopped, that crushes everything in its path. And that's kind of how we thought. We go, nobody's going to crush me. I am doing the crushing. I don't care if you're innocent. Better that a few innocent people go down on my way to success than for me to go down at all. Right? That's how we live. But today, we're here at step six. And step six is an amazing thing. First of all, words mean things, right? The Greeks called it lagos, and each word had meaning. The Hebrews had words that were, the Hebrew is very, it's strangely like Chinese, where things are combined to make new things, right? Characters are combined, meanings are combined, they make entirely new things. And uh, every word had a number, every letter has a number, and then words combined have new numbers. So the word were, where it says we're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character, is an important word. Now, if I put an apostrophe in the middle of that, I've changed the whole sentence, right? We're entirely ready. Well, one apostrophe changes that to mean that you and I and everyone reading it are ready right now. But that's not what the step says, right? The step says the writer, the creator of the step, this is the method I use to get to 12. That's why he used the word in step one. And I've heard speakers say, well, I'm not powerless anymore. See, the word says were. Well, that would be like saying six. I'm not entirely ready anymore because he's already changed me. So I don't need six anymore in my life. I'm already done with the steps. I'm good. (laughs) That ain't going to work. I'll tell you flat out, anybody with some time, ask them if that works. You know, ask them if you can disconnect six or one, for that matter, and come back and pick it up around 11. You can't. You absolutely cannot. Now, here's some of the cool stuff about six. First of all, I'm going to get right. I'm not going to hold it for a joke. By the way, I thought your joke was awesome. The funniest part was that you turned the paper over to see if there was more to that punchline because it wasn't (laughs) funny enough for you. (laughs) That was great. And that's it? Oh, well, all right. (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) I guess that's it. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's all I got. (laughs) That's all I got. 
Uh, so I'm going to tell you the punchline first. Um, step six teaches us uh, that we aim for perfection, period. That's it. What? No, it doesn't. Yeah, perfection. That's what we're going for. No. These are suggestions. Keep telling yourself that. I'm supposed to just be doing the best I can. This chapter in the 12 and 12 addresses those words as a lie, as lying to yourself. Well, then how can I do any better? Obviously, what I'm doing... No, please don't get into LSD philosophy, right? If I'm doing it, then obviously it must be the best I can because I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We're going to stick with this. So I look and I go, okay, in the big book for years, I've done... I tried to count the number of step series I've done. And I, I can only say this. At, at, from 10 years sober forward, I've probably done 50. That makes worse path. That makes about sense, right? You do average a couple year, maybe, you know, maybe a little more sometimes. And so, so in 50 full-on step series, and by the way, my uh, sponsor, um, the second one, who was Bill Wilson's grand sponsor, or sponsee, um, he was, he, was re- he was one of those, everything you need to know is in the 12 and 12, right? That's the updated big book. And it, and it drove me, my friend uh, Robert was here uh, last week, and I kept looking at him going, geez, that looks just like Robert. But I haven't seen Robert in about eight years, and that guy's got a white mustache and white hair. It can't be him. Yeah, it is. And uh, he, he, he knew, he was, that's, he was from up north, and that's where uh, we both knew that sponsor. And, we used to go out in the parking lot every meeting, just ranting about how terrible these meetings we were going to. You know, we just, I had five years, he had 10, and we just could not believe, you know, Robert would go like, have they ever opened the big book ever in their life? Do they know what they're talking about? Right? No, obviously not. Right? We'd hear people say, I, I'm looking for the solution. I have to find it, so I'm going to keep coming back so I can talk to you and find the solution. And we read it here. There's a common solution. Stop looking. It's already printed out here, right? So we look at, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. How can that possibly mean that we aim for perfection? All right, so we look in the book, and in those uh, 50-some-odd step series, I have generally said... Most of what I'm going to say comes out of the 12 and 12 because the big book only has one paragraph specifically aimed at step six. And the same with step seven. I said step six and seven is woven through all the other pages by concept, but specifically it it stops at five and then it goes, then we became ready and then we said this prayer and now we're at eight and nine, right? And so I couldn't really say where could I pick out sentences in the big book that throw me back to six. And I started looking through, and it starts in Bill's story, right? And then it's, it's woven through everything. So I'm thinking, well, then why didn't Bill write this? Why didn't he, why didn't he put the stuff from, from the pages in the 12 and 12? Why didn't he put that in the big book or something about it? And this is what, what comes to my mind. And you are free to investigate this, and I hope you do is that Bill had this epiphany with Ebby. And then he tried to get sober, and he realized he was toxified. So he went to John's Hospital, and they, uh, uh, or Towns, I'm sorry, Towns Hospital. 
And there was Dr. Silkworth, his, his buddy, and, uh, and he dried out. And while he was there, Ebby came and talked to him some more. And while he was there, he went through all 12 steps, right, with Ebby while he was in the hospital. And then when he gets out, he went to the uh, Oxford group. And the Oxford group says, well, you've got to go out and help people. And he goes, great, great, let's go help drunks. And he said in a Grapevine article, he said, I was certain that I could get these drunks sober, fast, and easy where all these non-alcoholic people in, in, in the Oxford group could not because they just can't connect. And they said, oh, man, it's, we don't have a very good success rate. It's really tough. And Bill's like, yeah, but I was hopeless. And Abby was hopeless. And look at us. We're fine. We know it'll work. And they couldn't get it to take right? And that's what caused Bill to go back and actually start writing steps. Because Bill's mind is, is like our minds, right? The, the people that I know here, and even if I only know you briefly, I would say, I don't, I don't know one dull person in this group. Everybody here is a pretty sharp thinker, and I'm not just trying to, you know, smooth your hair down. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I think you're sharp. And, and, and that's one of our big problems, Right? Because we're constantly looking for, that's why I mentioned those other books, you know. We're constantly looking for some more information. If I could just get a little more, I could put it all together and boom, I'd have the perfect soup, right? There's just one little ingredient I'm not getting. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's in uh, this book over here. Or this I, I see on Amazon.com there's another one that has, you know, stone in the title or water in the title or God in the title or spirit in the title. That'll help me, right? And those are, those are great reading, don't get me wrong. But I'm saying our mind looks for something necessary. So Bill is going, how did I get here? What steps did I take to end up getting this enlightenment? It must be repeatable. And that's why it's written in a cookbook format, right? First, get this, then add that, then stir in this. Then apply that, then bake at this, then remove it, then do this and that, right? If you do all this and you don't do step 12 and go out and help other alcoholics, you got batter, right? We know that. We know a lot of people who go, oh, I did step 12. Really, where are you doing step 12? I mean, I, you know, practice it in all my affairs. Really, well, where's carrying the, never mind, you're getting too heavy on me there. Okay, all right, sorry. You're the one that asked me for help. So Bill didn't really know what the heck happened in 6 and 7. And it is my conjecture that that's why he didn't write a whole lot about it in the big book. In how it works. Because he didn't know how that works. Those are the steps where we're transformed by God. I don't know how it works. A couple, couple young women and I were talking about that out front. You know? How does God change us? I don't know. How can you describe it? I can't. How can you describe the taste of salt without using the word salty? I can't. You have to know it. You have to have been there. There's no way I can lay it on you. So I can't tell you how that happened. Right? I don't know. And Bill just goes through with, so when I got to five, I know what happened there. And then we did this and we did this. We said a prayer and then we went into eight, which is actual action that I can take. So I go back and I look at this. This is beautiful. We're entirely ready to have God remove all, how many? All, right? 
Problems other than alcohol? Seems so. That falls under all. What about my romantic difficulties? Well, you're you're an alcoholic, you know. You straighten out and stuff behind it. And so we have a singleness of purpose because it's like an arrowhead, right? It's the point. You know, back when I was in Nam, uh, Nam, Ohio. (laughs) I know, because people are going, could that be? Could be. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. No, right. I was, God saved me from any of that craziness by making me a child. Um, but you run a point, right? You have uh, birds fly that way. That's a, it, it's a configuration. That's why an arrow is set up that way, a spear. Because that singleness of purpose, that single point can puncture and then everything behind it can follow, right? That's how a knife works, right? It has to be really sharp, singleness of purpose, single plane, and then inside everything else. So all of my problems get fixed when I go with this one point, and the point being that God will fix me. Okay. And being willing enough to do it. All these defects of character. Well, wait a minute. What is a defect of character? Well, step six is going to tell us. Yeah, but didn't Bill say that he just, uh, shortcomings and defects of character are the same word, that he just used two different words so it would uh, uh, seem better in the writing? Okay. Here's, Here's the story the way I heard it. I read in the grapevine what Bill said. First of all, um, that is terrible writing to do that. Go to any, you know, writing course. Go to FIU and ask a, a writing professor if you should be changing words to make each paragraph sound better. No. You confuse the reader. Especially in instructions. Why would you possibly care about how good the 12 steps read, right? You wouldn't while you're in it. Now, some 30 years later, after publishing the book, someone asked him, uh, or no, I think it was 25 years later, because I think it was 1960, published in 35, 25 years later. Um, If I ask you to think 25 years ago, half of you cannot, because you were either too young or not born then, right? 25 years ago is a long time. What'd you have for dinner 25 years ago? I mean, I don't even know where I lived. I couldn't tell you who was president. I don't know anything about 25 years ago, right? And so they asked Bill, what did you do? And he goes, I don't remember anything particular about either of those words. I don't remember anything about it. That's what he said. And I believe that's true. I believe that when you're guided spiritually, you don't know. Like if if you see a good orator, a good preacher, a good anybody that gets like this God flowing through them and they start shooting message. And then afterwards you go, God, that was a great message. And he goes, I don't even remember what I said, right? That's kind of what happens here. So then they ask him five years later, they go, well, what about that? You said you didn't remember. And he goes, you know, I, I think I probably just, and then he said, pick two different things for the same meaning. But those do not mean the same things. And words have meaning, whether he claims it or not. And I'll say this. Even if I'm wrong, it cannot detract from your sobriety this viewpoint. And if I'm right, it could add to your sobriety. All right? That what this talks about is what defects of character is. Um, I'll explain what the book actually says. And then what shortcomings are. And how they are very similar 
but they are, one is an x-axis and one is a y-axis for you engineers and physicists out there. So here's the beautiful thing. Aim for perfection. Can't do that. We claim spiritual growth, not spiritual perfection. That's true. But aim and claim are two different words. And words mean something. Even if they rhyme, they mean something different. We claim progress. We aim for perfection. Oh, really? Where does it say that? Well, let's start with this. This is the most beautiful promise in the 12 and 12. This is the step that separates the men from the boys. That is not a gender-specific slight on women from the girls. It, it merely means adults from the children. And I told you either last week or a couple of weeks ago about, you know, how I threw my little childish fit when my girlfriend said we're going to go visit her parents. And I said, I am not, and went and tried to rip my T-shirt off. And what I ended up doing was getting tangled in the T-shirt and falling into the, the bathtub and pulling down the shower curtain, right? I looked great. That was super cool. And then later, I was having dinner with her parents, you know? <laughs> so we know what it's like to be a child. We do that easily. We can do that sober. Cannot. Can too. Do not. Yes, I do. Go drive. Go drive. I hope you drive home. Don't be childish at all when you drive home. What is that guy doing? You know, we can't help it sometimes. It's just that my inner child is a brat. There's no sweet inner child in me. I'm, the sweetest I am is on the outside. And you get in deep, you're going to meet some Adams Family kids. In fact, now that I think of it, I'm somewhat like Gomez. I'm quite a bit like Lurch. I have a haircut like Uncle Fester. And I act like a, a six-year-old child, so I am the entire Adams family inside. <laughs> so declares a well-loved clergyman who happens to be one of AA's greatest friends. He goes on to explain that, dig this, not any alcoholic, which is what we read in, in Why Do We Say We're Recovered? Any alcoholic who has done, this says any person, anybody, any human being. Any person capable of enough willingness, where did that come from? Remember we talked about Plato's cave allegory, right? And sometimes the willingness is thrust upon us. And then from that, we can see open-mindedness, and from open-mindedness, we get willingness. Because if you're open-minded to hear my suggestion, the next reaction is, okay, I'll give it a shot. Might as well try. I got nothing to lose. That's willingness. Start with open-mindedness, willingness. Honesty comes in four and five, right? Because here it is. Again, I was talking to a, a, a sponsee at one time. And he kept saying, I'd say, do you know what that means? And rather than saying no, because he was at that point in his life incapable of saying, I don't know. He said, well, your definition may be different from my definition. And I said, dude, definitions are not subjective. They are th what they are. Otherwise, the words have no meaning. And if, the wor if all these words are subjective, you have no idea what I'm trying to say. Right? Words are not subjective in their definition. There may be multiple definitions, but they're not subjective, you know? And, and, and I said, you're not being honest. You're not being honest with yourself. 
We have to sit down and be rigorously honest with ourselves, always, it said, and with others when it would be beneficial to them. Like you, do, you are not always honest with everyone you know. You will hurt their feelings. When your girlfriend says, do these jeans make my butt look too big, and you tell the truth, that's on you, man. <laughs> the book does not say, be rigorously honest always. It says, with ourselves always, and with others when it's beneficial. Is that going to be beneficial? No. So you, you pull a Carl Rogers on him, and you go, hmm, what do you think? Right? They look good. What do you think? That's all. Just, you don't have to be rigorously honest. Am I ugly? Hell yeah, you're ugly. <laughs> what? I meant to say handsome. Oh, well then no. You know? No, we, we're bigger than that. But the honesty is about honesty with myself, honesty with God, and then honesty in that fifth step where I open up and I'm finally honest, truly 100% for the first time, often for the first time in our lives. So I have willingness and honesty that came from those five steps leading up to six. That's why the big book says it goes through all this Masonic imagery, right? Are the stones put well? Is there mortar between? Did I mix sand in, right? It's very Masonic with the building of an arch and all that, which is fine. It's fine. It's just imagery. It's just imagery. And that's why it says check it all and then take down the big book. Go over the five concepts that it, that it laid out and see if, if we're doing it. Then you're ready for six, which is for God to transform us, right? He goes on to say that any person capable of enough willingness, honesty, to try repeatedly, right? Oh, step, step three, oh, I give myself to God, oh, and then I take it back, and then I give it to God, and then I can't, baloney, can't be done, can't be done. You're lying to yourself. Because God, you cannot take anything out of God's hands that God don't want you to take, right? What you do is you act like you have it back, right? You're a child playing a game of peekaboo. You either do it or you don't. That's it. Now, every day starts over a new thing, but we're, we're down to six. So we try repeatedly, it says. So if I miss today, I wake up tomorrow and I try to be thoroughly honest. And the way I'm thoroughly honest is I crack the morning with willingness, right? How willing am I? I am so willing. I am, quote, ready to go to any lengths, right? I have had sponsees who repeatedly are willing to go to any lengths to not have to go to any lengths. <laughs> they talk out of both, right? They talk out of both sides of their mouths, they have an, ex, you know, uh, an excuse for everything. Blah, 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 blah. Man, they are, it's like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Before I can get them out to start talking to them, they're firing in defense. I didn't do this, and the reason I did this, and what about this, and this hypothetical, and maybe this, and boom, boom, boom. It's just, dude, be willing, be ready to go to any links. Be willing. Capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults, which is to be ready to have God remove them, not to try self-surgery, right? We don't try to remove our own appendix. We don't try to extract our own teeth. 
right? We don't do that. We don't, we don't do self-surgery. We allow God to do it. Because if we're doing that, we need to go back to one, right? I'm a powerless, yeah, go to a surgeon who admits he's powerless and, and comfortably go under. Last thing you see is him going, hey, I'm powerless. Good luck. To try repeatedly step six on all his faults, and then it says in italics, which means they were willing to pay more money to have it typeset that way, without any reservations, whatever. Like it said last week, holding back nothing. You have to close your eyes and walk and not fall off the edge and know that God won't let you fall off the edge. You have to know that, right? That's, that, that's where this blind faith that we hear about comes in. Blind faith is not closing your eyes and walking and knowing God won't let you fall. Blind faith is having a working relationship with the God of your understanding so clearly that you can see that light and then aim for it. And then you can't fall off. You know? I, I, I will, I'll, another time I'll tell you about my experience on the top of a, of a Turkish land wall at night where they get you to walk um, in the dark to the end. And that's with, without knowing where the sides are, in the dark. And that's to find out if you're connected enough with God to focus and go in a straight line, or if you're looking at your feet and you walk off the edge of the wall. And I did that in, in Istanbul. It's, it's an amazing feeling without any reservations, whatever. You can't ski jump. If you're going to learn how to jump, (coughs) excuse me, on a set of keys, or a set of keys, a set of, that would be something. (laughs) Learn learn how to jump in the snow on a set of keys. If If you're snow jumping, you don't get to do it a little at a time, right? you got to go into it full on with no reservations whatever. Because if you go into it halfway, you're going to kill yourself. You're not going to have enough to do it. Right? I learned fire eating from an Indian Mahatma. And he goes, take the burning torch and place the torch on your forearm and run it back and forth and it'll leave flames burning on your forearm. But do not chicken out and hold it an eighth of an inch above it or you will severely burn yourself. See, because there's no oxygen when you place the torch on your arm and you just leave this little bit of vapor fuel and so it burns and burns off. But if you let a little oxygen get under there, you burn yourself severely. And he says, no reservations, whatever, dude. Do it. All right. I learned how to be a fire eater. There you go. Any person capable of that has indeed come a long way spiritually. You can't just walk off the street and do this. You had to have had these changes in your life. Come a long way spiritually and is therefore entitled, entitled, entitled to be called a man or woman who is sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of his creator, of God. Right? If you're willing to do step six repeatedly on all your problems, if you're willing to let God take them, all of them, and there aren't that many, because almost all of our problems fall under 
material insecurity and emotional insecurity. Other than that, we got no problems, right? If we let God take those repeatedly over, every day, over and over, you are then entitled not to be called that stinky, awful, cheating, lying, stealing, drunk, drug addict. You're entitled to be called a man or woman who is sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of their own creator, of God. Growing in the image and likeness of God. If you are growing in the image and likeness of God, you must aim for perfection. There's no way around it. No half steps, half measures. You cannot take off 99%. You have to go 100%. Where does it say that? It says everywhere. Let's read this all one more time. Any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without any reservations whatever has indeed come a long way spiritually and is therefore entitled to be called a man or woman sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of their creator. We turn to page 64 and it talks about perfect Perfect, perfection, perfect. It keeps saying that. Then it'll go, God's grace, perfect, perfection. Like in the, in the opening paragraph, it, it, it says, um, you know, a very complete and literal way. God has granted a perfect release, right? The same means a perfect release from every other def- defect or, 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 or difficulty, right? We're humbled by the grace of God. That it can expel, right? That we are, we are, there are, go to page 65 and it talks more about the degree of perfection that God wishes for us. And, and it says, we'll come back to that one about snow. And then it says, you know, the best, best possible attitude, the perfect possible attitude, right? An absolute sense, page 66 talks about the grace of God, and then it talks about all these defects of character we may not know we have. We get to 68, and it says, become ready to aim at spiritual and moral perfection. Not pretty good, not doing the best we can. Perfection. It says, the perfect objective, which is God. It said, what can, what can be practiced? With absolute perfection. This is this. 11, 11 other steps talk about the perfect ideals, which are morals. Right? The word ideals means morals. Later when it says to write out uh, your, your perfect sexual ideal, that is not the perfect partner, you selfish son of a gun. I'm going to write out my perfect partner. That's my ideal partner. No, in that term, the word ideals means morals. What is your moral outline for a relationship? Oh, I don't want to do that. I'd rather just swipe left, swipe left. Nope, nope, not my ideal, not my ideal, not my ideal. Could be my ideal, not my ideal, not my ideal. (laughs) Really. Weirdo, 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 serial killer. Hmm, cute, really crazy chick. Weirdo, weirdo, weirdo. There are goals we look like, measuring sticks. A new venture into open-mindedness to raise our eyes toward perfection 
ready to walk in that direction, page 69. We ought to become entirely willing to aim toward perfection. What? Yeah, over and over. Aim for perfection. Why is that? Well, here it is on page 65. I heard a speaker once say, make sure I'm not going too far off. Okay, good. I heard a speaker once say, she got up at a big, I don't know, state convention or city convention or something, I don't know. And she says, uh, well, you know, I've worked the 12 steps and, and I'm living in 6 and 7 and I asked God to remove my sexual character defects, just not all of them. <laughs> and I was like, first of all, uh, as a professional entertainer, that sucked. That was a terrible joke. Secondly, as an AA member, it makes no sense at all. Now, I'm not saying this. I am, however, thinking it, which is my own defective character that I had to talk to God about later, right? Because what it says is that every defect of character, every character defect starts as a God-given character. It starts as part of how he made you perfectly. Envy. Oh, terrible. No, it's not. It's terrible when it grows cancerous, when we are willing to kill to get somebody else's thing or berate them so badly that they lose it, right? Like I talked about the, the Porsche and the cactus a couple weeks ago or last week. I don't, know. I don't know what year this is. I don't know what planet this is sometimes, right? Last week or a couple weeks ago. Right? Envy is good. How do you say that? Well, I say because it moves civilization forward. Right? Chris and I are at the campfire with our tribe, and Chris comes back at the end of the day with 15 berries. And all the uh, Raquel Welches in their little leather and fur bikinis come over and hang out with him at the campfire. And I'm stuck with all the uh, quest for fire weirdos with the mud on their face because I only have three berries. So I go, you know what? I'm going to beat Chris tomorrow. And I get 26 berries, and Chris shows up with a fish. And still, all the Raquel Welch 10,000 years B.C. are hanging out with him. And I go, dang it, tomorrow I'm getting a fish. And I get three fish, right? Envy has pushed me forward. I'm envious of his status in our tribe. I'm envious of the consequences, the results, the, the benefits of rising up in our tribe. So I go get six fish, and he comes back with a damn bear. Now he's got a skin, and he's got, you know, blood all over him. And he's like, yeah, 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 I'm changing tribes, right? <laughs> that kind of envy drives society forward. It does not drive it forward when my envy is so horrible that I can't sleep at night. All I can think of is killing that guy with the bear, right? He destroyed my life. That's, that's insane. And the book here, The Twelve Steps, go over what, what later uh, Pope Gregory I, you have a connection with him, you may not know. He, he developed those Gregorian chants you're listening to in the two minutes of uh, meditation. Gregorian. You also use his calendar, the Gregorian calendar. Yeah, awesome. And he invented a particular app, which is very popular too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the historians are going, I thought he lived in like 1,200. Yeah, he did. All right. They're not all golden, baby. Um, Pope Gregory took nine different attributes that could destroy your life, combined a couple of them, 
retitled uh, them the seven deadly sins and then owned them for the church. But they had been spread around by the Greeks and then by the Romans for hundreds of years before that. And those attributes that will destroy your life are in step six here. And they start out just fine. You should be sexually attracted to the person that becomes your partner. You should be. That's human. But if you lust, that's a cancerous growth. So it says right here, it says, God, it is nowhere evident, at least in this life, that our creator expects us fully to eliminate our instinctual drives. So far as we know, it is nowhere on record that God has completely removed from any human being all his natural drives. That's not what we're aiming for. Pardon me, our perfection is this. Since most of us are born with an abundance of natural desires, it isn't strange that we often let these far exceed their intended purpose. When they drive us blindly, or we willfully demand that they supply us with more satisfactions and pleasures than are possible, right? There's never enough. Or do us. So I, I'm, I'm not even, you know, it's, I shouldn't even be getting the stuff that I want. So therefore, I'll take it. That is the point at which we depart from the degree of perfection that God wishes for us here on earth, right? When those desires start overtaking us and driving us blindly, whatever those desires are, that's where we start separating from how God made us perfect in the first place. That's our own choice to separate from God right there. That's an, that's, that's an amazing statement. It says, that's, uh, that is the point at which we depart from the degree of perfection that God wishes for us here on earth. That is the measure, how far we depart, that is the measure of our character defects. There, it's explained clearly. Or, if you, wi- if you wish, our sins. Oh, why does he call it sins? Right? Why, that's a church term. No, no, no. It's an archery term, right? It's an archery term. In Greek, it means missing the mark. It's the X axis. If perfection is right here in my forehead's the target, and you shoot an arrow, let's make it an apple here, okay? (laughs) An apple on my head, like William Tell, they go, who? I never heard of that stuff. Yeah, public school. It goes into the apple if you're perfect. If you have a defect of character, if you have sin, the amount measured from the dead center of your target off to one side along the x-axis is measured as, in archery, your sin. That's sin. How far off the mark you are. Right? And it can go x and y. Okay? So the combination of any, because the target's a circle, right? So anywhere around that, however far away, as the radius of the circle increases from the center of the target, that is the measure of your defects of character. That is your sin. This isn't sin that needs to be forgiven by God. This is sin that needs to be corrected in your life by God. Make sense? 
So then we look at what is the other real quickly, and we'll come next week back to it. Then what is a shortcoming? Okay, imagine the same archer. Short coming, coming short. What would that mean? That would mean he didn't have enough power to hit the apple on this axis. And therefore, he's going to cheat, right? He's going to, if the, if, if, if the line is here for me to, to hit that target dead center, and I know I just don't have, because my, this is true, my, my shoulders are torn up, rotator cuffs, ugh, in pain. I, pulling this back, I don't have enough. So I'm just going to come down here and get a little closer. Okay, got it. Good. And I'll go back here and go, see, I did fine. Well, that would be a shortcoming, right? There's another word for shortcoming or coming short. Trans meaning to move, right? Transgression is the other word. That's why you find that in biblical references all the time, going all the way back to the ancient Hebrews. Sins and transgressions. Sins, transgressions. Right? They're the same thing, but they're different. Sin is missing the mark. Transgression is stepping over the line. Right? I know none of you did that, so it's going over your head at this point. But imagine if you adjusted the rules to get what you wanted out of life. (laughs) That is a shortcoming. How can you pray to God if your prayers fall under the category of a shortcoming? That's what I felt. The night that God got me sober, I thought, I am not even talking to you. I'm talking to the ceiling. If we ask God, if we ask, comma, God will certainly forgive our derelictions. That's a really important line right there that gets passed over. Um, The understanding of grace, which is explained many times in step six and seven, is grace is a divine gift. Grace is made up of several components, one of which is peace. And that's not tranquility peace. It's peace pause, meaning knowing, getting a glimpse of exactly where you are in God's great tapestry. That you're a single thread, but you're only one thread away from all the other threads in the tapestry. And you all work together to make this beautiful, beautiful picture. And if you're not there... It's ruined. If one thread is pulled out of that tapestry, it's ruined. You need to be here. You need to be exactly where you are. You need to be on the path you're on. You need to have the struggles and successes you're having. That's part of being in God's tapestry. And sometimes through grace, we get a glimpse, the book says, of God's kingdom. And that's not a place. That's a reign. That's a period. We get a glimpse of God showing us that we are exactly where we're supposed to be. That's peace. Another thing that's in grace is uh, uh, joy. Joy is not a higher level of happiness. They're two different things, right? If you know me, you've heard me say. The root word for happiness is hap, H-A-P-P. It's a Nordic word. It translates to a quilt. It transliterates to comfort. So happy means comfortable. You can buy comfort. You can buy comfy shoes, comfy couch, comfy bed, or comfy chair, right? Only the Monty Python fans are with me there. A comfy chair. But you can't buy joy. 
You can't be so happy that it changes into joy. Joy is a divine gift. Joy can only be had when everything that's blocking us from grace is pulled aside and it rains on us. Grace is like rain. It falls on the just and the unjust absolutely the same. Thank God it does because I was completely unjust before I ever read these steps. I didn't deserve to be happy, joyous, and free. I didn't deserve to even get one day of sobriety. It had nothing to do with what I had done, who I am, what I sacrificed, what I promised, nothing. It was just a moment of weird humility that passed through my life like a gravity wave that I couldn't see that came from an unknown source and it brushed away the bouquet of black umbrellas I was holding on to, which are this excuse and I don't like this guy and this one, their resentments and their hatred and their self-loathing and all that. They blew it aside for a second and I'm standing in the rain of grace and I got just enough humility to get down on my knees and ask God to take this horrible life away. And he took it away that night. And I've not had a drug or a drink since. And I'm coming up on the 22nd of this month to 30 years of that. And that's God. That's not me. I can't say, you know what, God? Here's our deal. If you do this, I'll do that. It wasn't that. It was just grace. See, because we got 100 umbrellas when we come in here, right? And no rain falling on us. And we go, where's all this God grace I hear about? I'm so self-centered, I can't see straight. Well, let go of some of that. Okay, here, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm honest now at the checkout stand when the woman gives me too much uh, change. I, I admit it and give it back. Oh, that's a very little umbrella. Okay, throw that away. Well, let's get rid of some of those big ones. Okay, we do step four and five. Oh, man, here's a bunch of umbrellas because now I'm praying for them. I still have several umbrellas, right? And eventually, I might get down to one umbrella, and guess what? That's all you need. To never see the grace of God is one. One character defect will block it just as well as a hundred. That's why there's no halfway. That's why it's all perfection. That's why if we're growing in the image and likeness of God, that must be perfection. Otherwise, I suggest no matter where you get it, I'm talking about the God of the big book in 12 and 12. I'm not going beyond what it describes in this book. And I would say, if you do not have a God that is everything or nothing, like it says in the book, keep coming back until you get one. Right? You have to get one that is 100% perfection. Right? Go, well, wait, I can't do that. Yeah, if we ask God to forgive our derelictions, he certainly will. That means nothing you did in the past are you ever held to. In this program, aside of all our personal religious beliefs, in this program alone, because my beliefs add to a lot of this, and other people's do too. But in this book, it says you don't have to go through any rituals to be forgiven. God just forgives you. Now, your own personal religion, you may go through some purification rituals, right? To feel and and demonstrate that you have been forgiven. That's beautiful. But it's not a requirement, according to our book. God certainly forgives our derelictions if we ask him to. You see? And then it says, he makes us white as snow. No, it doesn't. It says the opposite. It says, but in no case does he render us white as snow and keep us that way. No, that's... Wasn't it last week when I... I I can't remember whether it's the big book study or whether it's here that I... I I scream mostly at the people in Hollywood. 
right? So I think I was screaming, do the whole sentence! As long as I'm willing to do the next right thing, period. That's not where the period goes. It goes, uh, no matter what the consequences. Do the whole thing, man. Well, here's the whole thing for this. In no case does he render us white as snow and keep us that way without our cooperation. Words mean things. Words have value. If you add this word plus this word and you get this meaning, then this meaning going backwards will be the same thing, like algebra. This meaning equals this word plus this word, right? If A plus B equals C, then C equals B plus A, right? Must be. Must be. It's a fact. Well, here, let's read that backwards. Let's take the without and put with. With our cooperation, God renders us white as snow and keeps us that way. Boom. That's what it means. That's what it says. It's on page 65. You can read it yourself. God will render us white as snow. And like I was telling these women, we live on a 24-hour cycle in this program, one day at a time. I have nothing against other programs, but you can't interchange the sayings because words mean things. One day at a time is what we specifically mean. Not as it is for now, whatever. It is 24 hours a day. And then we start over. The oroboso, right? The snake eating its own tail. Someone once told me that time is a flat circle where we repeat the things we do over and over again, Marty. So I've been watching True Detective for the last three weeks. Yeah, I got rust all in my head, man. (laughs) Flat circle. I'm going to end up here. Step six, quote, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, unquote, is AA's way of stating the best, that's perfection, best possible attitude, a perfect attitude, one can take in order to make a beginning on this lifetime job. That's why you do it over and over, because God is changing you into the image and likeness of him. That's why I'm still here at 30 years. That's why guys with more than 30 years are sitting in this audience right now. Because we're not here to get sober. We're here to keep changing in the image and likeness of God, to aim for perfections. This is a lifetime job. It doesn't mean we expect all our character defects to be lifted out of us as the drive to drink was. Few of them may be, but not all of them. We got to be content with patient improvement, but we aim for perfection. That's what it says. The keywords entirely ready underline the fact that we want to aim for the very best we can learn. Right? We aim for perfection. Only step one, where we made the 100% admission we were powerless over alcohol, can be practiced with absolute perfection. Doesn't mean we don't still aim for it, right? Because that's what we're doing in step 10. We're, We're going over in the morning what the target is. Then we shoot during the day. And then at night, we look at the target and go, you know, I hit right on there. I missed these others, and then I hit this one. This is my growth. I didn't get them all, but I'm growing. I I claim that. That's mine. I claim spiritual growth. But I'm aiming for spiritual perfection, because what idiot 
aims to the side of the bullseye. Well, I'm never going to hit the bullseye, so I might as well just get Nobody does that except us. Except us. Well, nobody's perfect. In fact, that's what it says here. It goes, yeah, but nobody's perfect. It says it doesn't matter. The steps take perfect ideals. If we would gain any real advantage in the use of this step on problems other than alcohol, which is what we want. I assume everybody here is sober at this moment. And if you're not, come and talk to me afterwards. Because I need some morphine. My shoulders are hurting really bad. <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. It's recorded. I forget. They're going to go, I uh, transcribe that. <laughs> if we gain any real advantage over the use of this step on problems other than al- alcohol, we shall need to make a brand new venture into open-mindedness. I'm willing to go to any lengths. We shall need to raise our eyes toward perfection. If we're to get any help from six, we need to raise our eyes toward perfection and be ready to walk in that direction. Let's dispose of of this loophole that says on 69 of like, yeah, well, it says we ought to become entirely willing to aim toward perfection. That, that means I'll head there, but no, you know, not really that, that quickly. I'll get around to it. Procrastination in five syllables, it said on another page. But here's what it is. It says we're bluffing oneself with that rationalization that I'm, I'm doing the best I can. And the moment we say no, never, our minds close against the grace of God. Dig it. We're on a 24-hour cycle. The day you say, I'm not doing it today, you said no, never. You're in a one-day cycle. It doesn't matter. The other days, we live by one day at a time. So the day you go, I'll get around to aiming for perfection, you said no, never. When you say no, never, you've closed yourself off to the grace of God. You close yourself off to the grace of God, you will not have that connection. And without that connection, you will drink. And to drink is to die. So we start with just a little procrastination on, I'm not strong enough to be perfect. And then we bluff ourselves, the book says, right into drinking ourselves to death. See, you don't have to die of alcohol. I probably wouldn't die of alcohol. I'd have a bottle on the table with all the other stuff that's killing me. And two people to help me do it. Maybe three. Because I'm going to make the news if I relapse. I'm not going out pretty. You know? I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I, I, my, my disease has gone a lot, grown a lot bigger than it was 30 years ago when I came in. Right? I'm scared to death of relapsing. I don't get another chance now. I've been around too long. It'll pick me up and throw me down hard, right? There's no way I could smoke a joint and come back tomorrow. Because I still have enough pride that I am not going to get up and go, I am Doc, I have one day. No, my, 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 my humility is merely keeping me from saying I have 10,941 days today. See? That's as good of a humility as I can muster right now. So there's no way. So what do I need to do? Because I can drink just as easily tomorrow as you can, just as easily tonight. If I don't aim for perfection, if I don't have my eyes on God, 
if I'm not looking to be transformed into an image, the image and likeness of my own creator. It's a beautiful thing. You are no longer just a person. You've been pulled up. You've been given this golden opportunity. You've been forgiven of everything you've ever done. Your past is now your most precious possession, your dark, horrible, toxic past. Because with it, page 24 says, you'll be able to separate others from misery and death. And you are so blessed. You're entitled to be called someone who's growing in the image and likeness of God. And with that, I am so proud to be part of your group. And I will see you next week, Doc Alcoholic. Please join me in thanking Doc one more time. We have a secretary at this meeting, and it is my privilege to introduce that secretary. And that's Ronnie. Ronnie. Oh, okay, cool. It's on. All right. Hi, I'm Ronnie. I'm an alcoholic. All right. Hi, my name is Ronnie. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And um, I've asked a member, Chris, why don't you just come up and read the recovered statement really quick? Okay. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Thanks. Hi. I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Chris. This is the recovered statement. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict for some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. That's from page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. All right, 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once or remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can we ask for a show of hands of a recovered alcoholics? Cool, great. And uh, anyone in need of a sponsor, please raise your hand. All right. Uh, If you can get with uh, one of the people that raised their hand for sponsorship after the meeting, that'd be great. And uh, please join us for the Monday night's Big Book Study meeting where the Big Book comes alive. Fellowship is at 6.30. Big Book Study starts at 7.15. We also have CDs, mugs, large print Big Books, and little red books, Big Book Dictionaries for sale. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you next week. Also, if you did not bring cash, we, we take Venmo. It's this crazy thing in the, you know, that we do now, the kids do now. And uh, you could also use PayPal and any other form of uh, giving us your money um, through the Internet. And usually we have, like, uh, projectors, but we're not in that room. And the other room has projectors, and on the projectors it has things. And on those things, they say things about, like, H&I and other stuff and other Alcoholics Anonymous events. But we don't have that here, and I just took up enough space for as if we did have the projectors. So thank you, guys. That's really great. Thanks.
I would like to announce that we have tonight's session and all other the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study where the big book comes alive. And to those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Please join me in closing with the Lord's Prayer. Monday or next Thursday. Godspeed.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life 
are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time outside my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Say. 